Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Chip Nellinger. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com and TractorZoom. If you're looking at what's going on in the auction marketplace and you want to see trend lines develop and even more importantly, what the upcoming auction market looks like and what those inventories out there look like and how to start predicting what's going to start happening in the used equipment marketplace, check out check out TractorZoom's Iron Comps and you'll get to see a lot of great information there um, as to what's happening in the auction market. So if you're interested in that, that checkout, use Moving Iron and you'll get yourself a nice discount. Chip is with Blue Reef Agri-Marketing out of Morton, Illinois, and Chip is nice enough to come on once a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace. And Chip, we're starting to see that volatility we've been talking about, um, rear its ugly head. We've had that limit up report uh, Wednesday and Thursday had a good run and then Friday things kind of fell off sharply. Um, and then, you know, Monday and Tuesday, they've been kind of bouncing back around. So what's your, uh, what's your thoughts so far and, and kind of what, what do you see this volatility going uh, in this coming week? Yeah, I think only expanding. You know, you, you, uh, you hit on that. We saw a lot of volatility, a lot of mostly spread volatility between old crop and new crop uh, contracts and corn and beans. Um, I, I think that report was a shock to a lot of people, myself included, who kind of were leaning towards the the uh, fact that maybe the stocks report would be the where the fireworks were and the bullishness and that the acreage would maybe be a little bit bearish. So people were, uh, funds especially, who trade just massive leverage <clears throat> were long old crop, short new crop. And that report actually came out the exact opposite, right? All the fireworks were on the acreage side, uh, both corn and bean acres being uh, way below expectations. And so it caused a couple, uh, about a three-day correction in the spreads as a lot of these funds either exited the old crop new crop or rolled some of that position to where they were just long new crop and now as of yesterday monday that seemed to have straightened itself out a little bit in the beans and it just it seems like overnight and into the uh, early morning trade today on tuesday that's starting to normalize a little bit on the corn to where the the old crop is starting to lead the way again and in my opinion, that has to. If the market's any good, the old crop has to <clears throat> lead the way. Because if the new crop takes over and leads the way, and th- it artificially keeps the old crop low, that re-stimulates demand, right? If we have a problem out 
for the new crop, then we've got an immediate problem. You have to slow demand down right now in order to bridge the gap to get to new crops. So I think that was just a little bit of a two, three-day anomaly in the spreads. But what it's going to do is just increase the volatility because if you plug the acreage number into the balance sheet for new crop and assume trend line yields, there's some big assumptions in this, and, and they will change as we get more information and go down the road. But you plug the acreage in, plug trend line yields in, plug a demand assumption in that's equal to this year on corn and beans. And in beans especially, you're essentially out from a new crop. Yeah, like you have no ending stocks. Now, obviously, there's a lot that can change, and, and demand's going to be one of the big things. You also cut the carryout dramatically in corn. So there is no margin for error here. All that says to me is it's going to just increase what was already a volatile environment. It's going to make it even that much more explosive. As we get into new crop, plenty of forecasters, well-respected conservative forecasters, very concerned about uh, you know a, a hot, dry summer, particularly in the western corn belt where you are. Uh, up into the Dakotas, and, you know, a lot would argue you're already starting to see that here. I mean, we've got way, way warmer than average. You have planters rolling already here, 5th, 6th of, of April. That's about as early as, uh, you know, you ever see it around here uh, in this part of the state of Illinois. And uh, so it, it has people a little bit worried about 2012. It, it has kind of the same feel as 2012, very early spring a lot of planting early, uh, warmer than average, and then it just never rained again. I'm certainly not predicting that, but it, it has people a little bit nervous. And so this weather going forward is just going to create the potential for uh, massive volatility both ways, right? It doesn't yeah, mean it's going to be absolutely. Uh, horrible. We start getting rains and you know get the market thinking we've got a big, big crop potential coming. <clears throat> that volatility um, could obviously be lower as well. And uh, South America plays into that. They're about wrapped up with harvest and bean harvest in uh, Brazil. And uh, they've got their second crop corn in the ground. So the next uh, 60 days is going to be, uh, 60 plus days, I guess, going to be really critical for that second crop corn and have a dramatic uh, influence on our corn prices here. Because that's essentially, you know, any bushel that they fall short is a bushel that's going to be added to our exports. They export primarily that second crop corn. The world uh, has huge demand right now. And so, you know, <laughs> it's it's not just weather here. It's it's weather in South America, weather in Europe and the Black Sea. It's very much a world market now. Yep. All right, so let's talk about, let's focus on that demand for just a minute. So in your earlier statement, you talked about demand, and that's going to be the big leading indicator as to what happens with this marketplace especially as we start looking at you know how how is a potential drought going to play into this and all the different factors out that are coming around there but let's just assume for a second that we have trend line yields and we're, we're, we're plugging along like we're supposed to what are some of the demand factors that you're going to pay attention to that you're going to start saying like you know these are some canary in the coal mine that i'm starting to pay attention to yeah well the biggest is going to be china that's what people are going to really um hang your hat on is, you know, China, obviously, over the last several months, been massive buyers of uh, not just U.S. Uh, ag goods, but obviously South America as well. So is that Chinese demand going to continue to be there um, is going to be first and foremost. That's really what's going to drive us. The other demand um, likely is going to stay there to some extent. And, and this is going to be a function of supply as well, right? I mean, 
it's a world market. So, uh, you know, the Black Sea area, Russia, Ukraine, they're getting ready to plant like we are. They're on the same season as us, obviously. Uh, how big is their crop going to be? That is going to play into this. South America is wrapping up harvest now. Due to currencies and, and, and price levels down there, they're at basically record all-time high prices for about the fourth year running now. So they're going to expand acres as much as they can down there this winter, which is their spring when they go to plant. And so some of this is supply-driven as well. But that's really going to be the big thing. It's China. China's going to drive this. And unfortunately, right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, we're just going to have to get used to that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we played that game all through the, the tariff war. And, you know, is China going to buy or they're not going to buy? We're going to have a trade deal. They're not going to have a trade deal. <clears throat> we're gonna have we're gonna replay that in just a different version now, and that's gonna be uh, is China gonna buy U.S. corn? Are they gonna buy U.S. beans? Uh, how's their African swine fever issue shaping up? Um, there's a lot of moving variables there, but the key driver, unfortunately, probably for the next decade or more, is gonna be Chinese demand, and um, that's. That's uh, if you can predict that. That's what adds to the volatility because they're so unpredictable that you you have no idea that was that the last bushel they're going to buy for three years or you know are they set to just buy more beans than we could ever see imaginable and you could make a case for each side of that. So uh, some of the other normal you know Mexico, Japan, some of these other more normal customers. Uh, the buyer agricultural products, they're much easier to gauge on the demand because they're pretty regular and buy about the same amount every year. Uh, good, solid, strong customers. You know, China is uh, their their own animal, you know, and, and it's impossible to predict what their future demand is going to be, but it's going to be such a huge influence on our price levels that uh, it's going to just add to the potential volatility that we see. Yeah, okay, so let's just jump over and let's talk about well, first off, let's stick with this. One more question on this. All right, so with the Chinese demand as it grew through the the tail end of last year and in the amount of of product they were buying from Brazil, right, corn, soybeans, those kind of things. I mean, so Brazil effectively sold everything they could sell to the Chinese to a point where they were actually buying corn from from the U.S. to supplement, you know, their stocks that they had. Um, this next corn crop that comes up, and this is like you said, it's primarily something that they that they're going to, uh, uh, to export and those kind of things. How much of that do they need to keep for their own stocks? I mean, in order, I mean, is there going to be a big a big line in the sand there where they say, okay, we're not going to export past this? I mean, where does that line in the sand come into play in this demand conversation? Yeah, so <clears throat> that's interesting as well, right? Because these a lot of these countries particularly Russia, mm -hmm. uh, but Ukraine, are worried about food inflation, right? right. So they, uh, as is China, <clears throat> and so you, you, they are very aware of the internal price of food, right? Flour and wheat in particular in Russia. And so when, when they see those price levels increase, they start curtailing what they're going to allow for export to try to keep that supply internal to help stabilize their food prices so there's some of that involved in this as well and and i still you know i still go back that we yes we had a trade deal but 
I think it was a perfect storm. I think China had a, a, a bad crop as well. I think through the trade wars, they had drawn down their domestic supplies and stocks. And because of that bad crop they had, they were going to buy the amount they bought from us, um, irregardless of the trade deal. That's, that's my opinion. There's no way to prove that. But I, I think China had the demand, trade deal or no trade deal, and they were right. going to buy what they bought from us. And so yeah. you can bet they're going to try to encourage more acres be planted there, encourage high yields, encourage that you know self-sufficiency as much as they can so they don't have to rely on other sources uh, in the world for their food supplies, right? I mean, this thing's starting to be more and more unstable politically uh, in the Middle East. Um, you know, China's flexing their muscles some. That might all just be kind of a testing of this new administration. But, you know, if you're China, you don't want to be dependent on Brazil and the United States to feed your people when, uh, you know, the vast majority of the world sees you as maybe the biggest enemy that there is right now, politically and militarily. And so, you know, there's all that that plays into it as well. So, it's just, it's like a giant, uh, you know, six-dimensional chess game that's going on. And, and uh, you know, our commodities are in the middle of it, but there's a lot of other stuff that goes into play as well. And it makes it really hard to gauge that demand, you know, when China's there and, and not knowing what they're going to, they're not going to tip their hand and tell you, you know, they, right. they're smarter than that. They've been playing these markets for a long, long time, and there's no one better at it than um china and so <laughs> good luck if you can try to predict it now <laughs> we this friday we've got our a regular april crop report we'll get updates on demand uh, primarily carry out uh world numbers but then in a month on the may usda uh WASDE report that's our first snapshot of new crop they'll come out they'll update old crop they'll also give their first balance sheet on new crop so a month from now in in uh, may that could be a wildly volatile report as well because that will be the first official um, figure uh, as far as demand goes. Now, <clears throat> we had in February the Ag Outlook Forum that had some demand assumptions there, and they were pretty big, but they don't always match. That's a different division of the USA. They don't always match what the May crop report says. So there's just, and by that time, we'll know how the crop's going in the ground and our planting pace and whether it's still dry or we're getting better rain and, and a lot of stuff to hit this market in the next, uh, you know, two to four months. Do you expect much out of the April report, of this coming April report? Well, based on the demand export pace and, and the demand pace that we've had, I, I and I haven't seen any average estimates yet, but I kind of think the market uh, is going to go in there believing that they're going to raise demand on corn and beans. All the evidence is there based on the pace that we've sold the pace that we've shipped out, uh, that exports are too low on both corn and beans. And uh, so I think that the market's expecting a cut and carry out because of increasing demand. If they don't get it, that could become a little bit negative, especially if we have a nice open window of weather and, and planters rolling hard. Um, so, you know, it could be, it could in its own right, this April crop report be add to the volatility. But I, I, in my mind, the, the market's, is expecting cuts in, in carryout. And, and, and the fact that the 
bull spreads are working again. I mean, the, the old crop is starting to lead again now in corn and beans, and we're starting to rally and give back some of what we lost off the highs from last week. Tells me that, uh, that the market kind of expects tightening stocks on this April report. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Let's talk about let's talk about wheat for a little bit. Wheat condition reports came out um, this week, and um, no, really, they saw looks like hard red winter wheat was up uh, a little bit higher than what they had expected from the fall. Looks like they're doing good there, but they saw some declines in the soft red uh, winter wheat out there right now. So, um, still though, it's not a rosy picture for for wheat. You know, we're, we're kind of at the middle of the road as far as what they feel like average condition looks like. So. I guess talk about the wheat market and what you see happening there. Yeah, <clears throat> well, wheat is, uh, we could talk for five hours on, on wheat, you know, talk about a tough market to gauge because of all the supply in the world and kind of unknown demand. But at the heart of it, we did, as you mentioned, start getting our first winter uh, wheat condition reports. 53% good to excellent. That was exactly what they were looking for. Uh, but on, on the back side of that, I believe there are 15, 16% of the wheat crop was rated uh, poor to very poor. And most of that was in the plains. And that's obviously where the biggest production is, uh, in my mind. And, and I know you can kill wheat 19 times and, and still have it uh, yield, uh, really well, but I, I just can't believe we're not going to eventually see more problems uh, at harvest and in final yields from this, you know, massive cold snap we had earlier this winter. Um, it seems like that was forgotten and, and maybe we can get through it. You know, there's arguments out there. There's a little bit of snow cover. Maybe that helped. I just cannot believe if you look at the temperature maps of how cold it was for how long it stayed that cold yeah. that you're not eventually going to have some, some problems or have that show up in, in poor yield and, and maybe poor quality as well. That's a harvest issue most likely, but, uh, I mean, 53%, you know, it's okay, but it's not like it's, uh, we're, we're maybe steering down the barrel of the biggest wheat crop we've ever raised. So, and, and there's still time, as you mentioned, you know, you guys out there in, in uh, Western Nebraska, very, very dry. And so moisture and temperature are still going to affect this into harvest. And, and again, I just, my brain tells me we haven't heard the, the end of, you know, the potential uh, freeze damage that we saw this past winter. And so as a starting point, 53%, it's as expected. But I think what the market's going to watch is how does that poor to very poor shape up over the next uh, six weeks here? You know, do you start seeing that crop improve and the poor getting better? Or are we going to start seeing, you know, the middle of the ground um, rated wheat? drop into that port of very poor and that's going to drive us demand starting to pick up a little bit egypt uh, looks like they're starting to put a pretty pretty big buying program in place and it's just the wheat market's really hard to gauge it's going to be a follower to to corn and corn plains in this from a, a feed ingredient standpoint you know we can't get too low and and too far below corn because you'll increase the demand um you know as far as feed rations go in the plains and you've already arguably to that point where, you know, Kansas City wheat kind of factors in there at current levels between, uh, you know, Kansas City wheat prices. July new crop uh, wheat 617, July corn uh, 545. So, you know, you're right there to where um, if wheat drops much more, 
that starts working into a feed ration and starts uh, increasing the demand and cutting the carryout on the wheat side. So there's some give and take with corn and how high corn goes is going to really affect, uh, you know, the wheat market as well. Right on. All right, jump over and look at proteins real quick. Uh, cattle market's still having a, a pretty good run here. Looks like they're up uh, week over week here. And looks like the hog market has kind of, you know, had a little stable, had kind of a little dip this week. But I guess as you look at those two markets, again, we're heading heading into that uh, that grilling season. That, that we're, that, that's kind of like the big driver for boxed beef and, and boxed, uh, boxed pork and those kind of things. So as you take a look at those, um, markets, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, start finally, <clears throat> we've spent seven weeks stuck in the mud at 114 cash in the cattle. We're finally seeing some life there. In fact, uh, we're a couple bucks higher last week. There's some people thinking maybe it can be uh, up towards, um, you know, 119 ish this week. Uh, the futures have a pretty big premium built in. That's been part of the struggle for many months, is the, the futures are at a higher level than where the cash is. And so the futures, uh, the cash rallies to meet the futures rather than the futures rallying sharply. But it seems like all systems are are go right now. <clears throat> cash market is rallying. The box beef is is really screaming higher. Packer margins are still there. They're paying up. Um, so all systems go right now as far as the cattle go. Now that that doesn't mean we're going to 140 cattle or anything. I think some of this is a little bit of a catch up uh, to what hog prices and pork prices have done. And, and, you know, we mentioned the spreads in the grains. There's a lot of spread activity that, uh, you know, likely has been there long hog short cattle. I think maybe yesterday you started to see some of that be unwound a little bit. But uh, hogs have their own bullish uh, news that, you know, later in that cycle of bullish news there. But still massive demand, big gains almost on a daily basis on, uh, you know, pork products. Uh, last week was a massive export week. China's still there. Uh, in a big uh, way, we had our biggest uh, uh, weekly pork export uh, report of the marketing year. I think it was like uh, 61,000 tons, so a massive number there. China was 30 some, 33, 34,000 tons of that. So uh, we got the bull market started here finally in, uh, in, in on the cattle. We've been waiting a long time for that, and uh, we're well into it on on the hogs. We really need to. From a, you know any hog producers out there, uh, you know I, I do think that you can go higher, but we can't just stick our head in that sand here. Right? You know you're talking about we hit 107 yesterday on June lean hog futures. You know you're up in here in rare air. We haven't been here uh, just a couple times in, in history and never this early, and so we really have to keep our eye on the on the ball out there. I know corn prices are higher, meal prices are north of 400 a ton, and so that's crimping margins a little bit, but. Uh, you know, if this hog thing continues, we, we've got to look at uh, locking some stuff in and playing defense out here eventually. It's not going to last forever, but it's good that it's here right now, and uh, we'll we'll take it for sure. Right on. Well, good stuff as usual, Chip. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about Blue Reef Agri-Marketing and what they can do for their operation, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, best way is just call our office, 309-550-7213. We'd love to talk to you. A lot going on. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> pays to keep your eye on the ball as, as much as it ever has. So, uh, having a plan and executing on it, uh, really pays dividends. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. No, there's lots of stuff moving right now. So there's plenty of reason to, to adjust and readjust what you have on, on your marketing plan so far this year. So definitely keep your eye on the ball and, and, uh, definitely reach out to, to Chip and his crew about what they can do to help assist that. So 
I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also go to movingironllc.com. You can find all the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast, blogs, also information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up here September 15th through the 17th in Nashville, Tennessee. If you're a dealer and you want to come to that, feel free to uh, jump on there and get all the information about the agenda, the speakers, um, information to register, and all those kind of things. It's a great place to come network and great place to get um, faces to names and those kind of things. So uh, make sure you check that out at movingironllc.com, upper right-hand corner. Click on the Moving Iron Summit uh, link, and you'll get all the information you need there. Uh, make sure you check out the Dryland Farm podcast. It's a great podcast to listen to. It's uh it's a funny podcast. It's like the Seinfeld of podcasts, and uh, Brent and Lane will keep you guys laughing through uh, throughout the rest of the day here. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Chip Nellinger. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher